How wonderful to sing Hosanna to God. Save us, save our souls, save our relationships, save our marriages, save us in every aspect of our life. What a great opportunity to worship with you guys today. My name is Matt Party. I'm one of the pastors here and so excited that you're here. We're in this Proverbs uh, series through this whole summer. We've covered a lot of different topics and I was really just thinking through this and praying through this. And I thought before all these college students come back in August and we probably give them a little bit more attention because of that season of the year, I wanted to talk about marriage today. I know that some of you city people that are here uh, are in marriage. Some of you are thinking about marriage. Some of you are engaged. Some of you are dating. And some of you would say, I never want to get married. Hey, that's okay too. Um, the Bible makes that very clear that there's no shame in not being married, um, a, a gift from God. If singleness is what God has planned for you, uh, that is a wonderful thing too. Sometimes our single people can feel uh, a little left out. But we wanted to give a little attention to this, uh, this topic today of marriage. And uh, as we would say all the time, the scripture is so relevant to all parts of our lives. And even the scriptures that we're looking at here today in Proverbs are not just applicable to marriage, even though I want to emphasize that today. Um, they're really applicable to all relationships. So again, if you're sitting there and you're single, uh, don't tune me out quite yet because these principles that God gives us really relate to our relationships and our friendships that all of us are being called into. You know, uh, as I was just reflecting on this, I was thinking about our 22 years of marriage. Mary Lynn and I have been married for 22 years. Yep, thank you. You can clap for that. 22 years to each other, so that's cool. And uh, I remember reflecting on year 13. That was really our difficult year. Maybe I should say more my difficult year. And uh, kind of that valley year that maybe some people experience if you've been in a relationship for a long period of time. I would say uh, we really give our marriage a lot of attention and it's this wonderful thing and, and beautiful. But it, we didn't have a seven-year itch type of thing. But year 13 was difficult. And as I thought about that season, a lot of these verses that we're going to be talking about uh, were applicable to that time that I really needed to be reminded of in my marriage. Um, and it really related to me in my mind, taking my foot off of the pedal of having a great marriage. That was the image that came to my mind little by little during that year. And as I reflect back on it now, I remember just having my foot to the pedal and just wanting to be a great husband. You know, I want to really pursue this. I want to, I, I know this is important in life. And I, I really wanted to uh, be a great husband. And I remember thir year 13, all these negative things started creeping into my mind. And complacency started coming into my mind. And something that you never want to do in a relationship where I started keeping score in the relationship of year 13, okay? Little side note, don't keep score in your relationships. And I found myself becoming complacent. And I found us starting to drift in our relationship. And I became very concerned about the trajectory of our marriage. And it wasn't anything life, you know, altering or, or gigantic, but I, it was serious to me. I could see where we were going and it concerned me. And a reason it would concern any of us and really concern me is Mary Lynn and I are very passionate about this area. You know, there's not a lot of things that um, we're passionate about besides our relationship with God and our marriage and family. And I really believe, we believe as we do premarital counseling all the time with young couples and postmarital counseling to people that want that kind of input or maybe going through difficulties, is we believe a good marriage 
has so many implications in our world. So many social ills, so many things that go on in our country often come back to a husband and a wife loving each other and providing a great family. That just covers so many different things. Even secularists believe that. Even scientists that do studies on the social dynamics and the politics and all the things that go on in our world trying to help young people and trying to help our culture would say a strong marriage is so vital. And so that was really important to me in year 13 to make this adjustment, to tweak this. And I reflected back on the vows that I want to read to you that many of us take. We had a, we had a uh, wedding here this weekend, and it was just kind of reminding me again of like these vows that people take and these things that people say, and they're really kind of sobering if you think of it. And I wanted to read those again as just a reminder. These are just some typical traditional vows. Here they are. In the name of God, I, you know you, take this other person to be my spouse, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish until we are parted by death. This is my solemn vow. Now, there's not a lot of times in life where we make solemn vows, right? So this is a pretty serious thing. You know, you might be out going to buy a new vehicle and you do some research of what kind of car. Maybe a young person, you're thinking about, where am I going to live in the fall? And I'm going to sign this lease. I'm signing my name, making this vow that I'm going to make 12 payments, hopefully, uh, to have this apartment or a house or whatever we purchase. We make these commitments, why do we let 20-year-olds stand on a stage and make a vow to one another for the next 50 years? Wow, that's a huge commitment. You ever see young people, when I was doing some work here Friday, they were decorating, getting ready, and everybody's so excited. And, you know, they're planning out the wedding, and they just look so young. The older you get, the younger they look. And you just want to grab them and just say, do you know what you're getting into? You know, you want to say that in love, but it's like, wow. This is a sacrifice. It's a lot of work. And by God's grace, even though it's very sobering and it's a huge vow and it's a huge commitment, God wants us to flourish in it. God can help us flourish in it far beyond what we can do in our own power and strength. So let's look at these three principles from the book of Proverbs that really helped me uh, in marriage and helped Mary Lynn and I. And, uh, and these three points, uh, again, are very applicable to, to marriage. But even if you just want to kind of put that in the back of your head, if you're not married, you can very much apply these to your friendships today. So here's the first one, Proverbs 19.11. A person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. The Bible says that in this wisdom, this series that we're doing is on wisdom, Practical wisdom, real life wisdom. If you're a person of wisdom, it is going to bring patience into your life. Another Bible translation says that if you're wise, this patience word is also translated, you will be slow to anger. Does that describe you? Does that describe your life and your relationships? To be slow to anger, to be patient, and to one's glory to overlook an offense. The Bible is not talking about us belittling things that are problems. 
But it's just telling us there's going to be all kinds of things that you do that make this relationship difficult, and we need to be flexible. We need to be caring. We need to be filled with grace. But if we are sinned against, if someone hurts us, or something very serious happens, the Bible says we also need to be forgiving. So here's our first point from that verse. Wisdom in marriage leads to patience and forgiveness. If you want to enter into any really good friendship or relationship um, or a marriage, you're going to need patience and forgiveness. And that is something you could always be working on today. That is something, a character uh, part of you in your friendships when people hurt you or say things that are, that are hard for you, uh, to be patient and forgiving. If I think about all the dumb things that I've said to people, all the things that I've done to hurt Mary Lynn, all the times that she calls it of like where I'm not overtly doing something, but she says, you weren't very thoughtful at that time. And I said, I'm not thoughtful because it didn't come to my thoughts. You know, um, there are times where we injure one another and we need to be patient and forgiving. And I know that every one of us can relate to this. There's times where we're hurt, we're injured, our patience is running thin and we don't want to be forgiving. And we say to ourselves, Maybe I should just let this go and just let this relationship go. Maybe we should drift. Maybe I should punt on this relationship. And that's where we need God's presence. We need the gospel in our lives to really reflect the gospel and the, the, what Jesus has done for us into these earthly relationships. Why do we want to be patient? Why are we slow to anger? Why are we forgiving? Because that's how God has treated us. He has overflown us and just um, you know, given us this abundance of patience and forgiveness that we can give toward other people. Let's read Psalm 103, 8 through 12. And this is really where all of this comes from in our hearts and in our lives. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love, he will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. Isn't that beautiful? Or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. In Psalm 103 here, we see the gospel and we see what Jesus did on the cross for every one of us. God loves you with an abounding love. He's so forgiving toward you. He's not quick-tempered. He's not easily irritated by us. A lot of times we put that on God. He must be angry with me. He must be irritated with me. The Bible says he's longing to have compassion toward you. He's gracious and he's slow to anger. He loves you. He wants a relationship with you. And the Bible says that these sins that we have done against him and against others, God can take those out of the way through the blood of Jesus Christ as a gift to us and reconcile this relationship. And every wrong thing that you've ever done, big or small, can be removed from you through faith in Jesus Christ. What does it say? as far as the east is from the west. That's a, that's a long way. Think of a really, really big distance. 
That's how far he has removed your sins from you. I love these word pictures. I love these creation pictures. If you think of the stars, you ever go out on a night sky and look at the stars, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. And when we have this big picture of who God is and how he feels toward us, that helps us in our earthly relationships. I don't know if you saw in the news when Richard Branson went into space this week and Jeff Bezos with Amazon, they both you know, built their rockets types of things and they went into space uh, just to kind of show off how much money. I'm just kidding. They have billions of dollars and they're investing it in this outer space kinds of things and all these cool technologies. And I actually uh, enjoyed kind of watching these things. And one of the cool things that you see about when people go into space is they send back some amazing photos of Earth. And every time I see them, I don't know if you feel this way, but you look at Earth and you're like, oh my goodness, we're so tiny down there. What an amazing, beautiful picture, almost like a picture from God of his grandioseness and how amazing and huge he is. And they've just barely left our atmosphere, these photos. And you think, well, how much higher above the earth are the heavens and the stars? That big picture that God has that we even see in these photos is just so tiny in comparison to the great love that God has for us. And when I feel that in my heart, when I'm experiencing that and I'm reflecting on that in the scriptures, that makes me more patient toward my wife and makes her more patient toward me. This all starts with our relationship with God. So practically speaking, and an application for you, are there offenses in you? Are there hurts in you that are unresolved right now in your relationships? Is that something that you're bringing to God? Is that something that you have the courage to, to bring to your, your spouse or to this friendship and say, man, I'm kind of feeling this, this splinter in our relationship. I'm feeling this separation, and I want reconciliation in our relationship. Bring those to one another and let God bring forgiveness. The second point is from Proverbs 19, also verses 13 and 14. A foolish child is a father's ruin. And a quarrelsome wife is like the constant dripping of a leaky roof. Houses and wealth are inherited from parents, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. Now this passage here that I'm reflecting on uses the word wife. This next one that I'm talking about is reflecting uh, on the man's role. But just like I was saying before as a clarification, these are applicable to all of us. It isn't just the wife or the husband. You can have a quarrelsome wife. You can have a quarrelsome husband. These things all through Scripture talk about how we should not be picking fights or quarrelsome or pugnacious or easily angered or always fighting over things in our relationships. The Bible says this quarrelsomeness, this, this nitpicking, this fighting, this escalation of emotion and tone and fighting is like a dripping of a house that's just constant from a leaky roof. What is that like? It's irritating. We lose sleep over it. It just becomes louder and louder in our ears. It erodes the foundation of the houses that we're metaphorically trying to speak you might not think it's much, just that dripping off the roof, but if you know anything about construction, over the months and years, that will erode the foundation of the building and destroy it. 
These are things that we need to be doing to weed the garden of our relationships. It says, houses and wealth are an inheritance from the parents, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. A sensible person, a wise person, someone that has the future in mind. Reflecting back to that year 13, I remember thinking this thought. Are these things that I'm letting creep into my life that big of a deal that I want to give attention to? And as I reflected on that, and by God's grace, he was speaking to me, he kept bringing that word to mind about the trajectory of our relationship. The trajectory. And you know, when I think of that word quarrelsome, I think we just went through a very quarrelsome year in our world. And the world is always trying to get us to be divided and to fight, right? And there's this constant temptation for us to be separated. There's this constant temptation to just drift apart. And because of the brokenness in our lives, because we're humans, we were just singing about that earlier. There's something wrong with all of us. We all have that in common because of our sin. Okay, hear me on this. It is not our natural intention to drift toward one another. It is our natural brokenness to drift away to drift away from friendships, to just grow silent, to let the quarrels come in and the splinters and the hurts and to just drift apart. And when we make this commitment in marriage, we're saying, I want to be committed to you for these decades. I want to love you. I want to cherish you. I want to put you first in all my earthly relationships. Then we start giving attention to the trajectory of like, maybe it's not a big deal right now. Maybe you're harboring some hurt and you're thinking, is this a big deal? Well, what if that continually piled up year after year and decade after decade? A sensible person, a prudent man, a prudent woman looks at the future and says, where is this relationship going? And then makes the adjustments. So that second point, maybe that's already come up on the screen. Wisdom in marriage seeks peace and sensibility. Are you seeking peace in your relationship? Proverbs 21.9 reflects on it a little bit more. Better to live on a corner of a roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. Better to live on the corner of a roof than share a house with a quarrelsome person. You know, I've been in these kind of relationships. It wouldn't matter, you know, when, when it's unresolved and it just eats at you. It doesn't matter if you're in a big, beautiful mansion and you have all the money in the world. It doesn't make you happy. The relationships, the peace, the love, knowing that there's community in your life that has your back and believes the best about you and that you have their back. You know, something that we have in our relationship um, that's just a practical thing that we've really worked hard on is when we have our quarrels and we have our disagreements or we even have our fights, we will plan out those dates to go and revisit that and to talk about that. And we like to go on dates. Often we're up at like Levis Commons up there and we'll get our coffee and we'll, we'll do a few laps around there. And I encourage you to go on dates often and talk about your relationship. And sometimes we'll have a quarrel and we'll have a fight. And a couple days later, after the emotions have calmed down, we will ask this question, which I encourage you to have in all your relationships. We will say, is there any residual things from that fight that are still lingering? That's a humble and hard and difficult question to ask at times. 
Do I need to re-apologize? Do I need to say I'm sorry again? Do you think that we're understanding anything? Because sometimes you just want to resolve things, right? And you just want to sweep it under the rug. None of us loves conflict. And we're worried like, oh, is this just going to bring the fight back up again? But if that's the temptation, then you truly haven't resolved it yet. And it's going to come up at another time. So you want to make sure that drip isn't happening anymore. And if there's any damage to the foundation, you're patching it back up. And the way you do that is days later, we'll go and say, hey, any residual stuff, how we doing? You feeling good? You still like me? Yeah, I still like you. Okay, are we understanding each other? It's so important. I think sometimes the, the dripping and the nagging and the constant fighting that can happen from a man or a woman could result from this third thing. Proverbs 19.15, here's the third point. Laziness casts into a deep sleep, and an idle man will suffer hunger. Laziness brings more laziness. The more you sleep, the more you're lazy. The more lazy you are, it's kind of a deep cycle of sleep. And an idle man, an idle person, an idle woman will suffer hunger. The third point is wisdom in marriage avoids passivity. That is such a temptation in all of our relationships. I want to talk about passivity. It is so tempting for all of us to put all the weight and all the responsibility on the other people in our lives. And that's really what was creeping into my relationship year 13. I said, I'm entitled to a break. These were the, the bad thoughts that were coming into my mind. Man, I've worked so hard. I don't want to work so hard. I want her to do more than me. I want her to pursue me. And I started letting passivity come in. And that comes in when, again, you're feeling entitlement, when you're feeling fatigue, when you're not getting an energy and a passion from God, and you stop initiating because you feel like you deserve something that you're not getting. And it's a terrible recipe for passivity. Again, married or unmarried, I hear people all the time just say, well, I just wish everybody would call me more. I wish everybody would pursue me more. Everybody's kind of hunkered down from this last year, and we're all going our different ways, and we're drifting, and people will say, well, nobody cares about me. I'm lonely. I want to be pursued. I want to be treated like a prince, or I want to be treated like a princess, and I cast it on the world to come and find me. The Bible speaks against that. The Bible says be a leader, be a pursuer, go out there and love people. Jesus did not just sit back and let us die in our sins. He pursued us on this earth. He laid down his life. He sacrificed with us to reconcile this relationship. And we want to understand what Jesus is doing in our own lives. It gives us this excitement and passion to pursue the other person. Again, Mary Lynn and I were on a date recently and she brought this up with me. She said, I feel like as we get older, I feel like we're busy, we're tired, we have kids, we have all these responsibilities, we're pursuing each other less. And I said, I, I agree. I think you should really turn up that pursuit in your life. <laughs> you know, I 100% agree. No, we need to take that upon ourselves to do that. Practically speaking, would you... Turn up the pursuit in your life of your spouse and of other people in your lives and turn down that passivity. What are you investing in? 
And again, I don't have a lot of these other passions in life where I'm like losing sleep over fitness or money or fixing my house or youth sports or all these different things that pull at our uh, attention. Those are all wonderful things. And we can get so crowded in life and so busy that we just all of a sudden find ourselves thinking and pursuing and investing in these other things. But God says, I want you to pursue in your relationship with me. And I want you to pursue your relationships with those closest to you, your spouse and your family. But the world is calling The world is calling for these other things. Not great things, but good things. And Proverbs 5, 6, and 7 speaks of this. And I I really want to encourage you to read these three chapters this week. It says so much about marriage and about relationships. And let me summarize these three chapters. I I don't want to read them to you right now because of the kids here. Uh, It it goes into some pretty, you know, PG-13 things. Proverbs 5, 6, and 7. But I will summarize it this way. The romantic excitement, intimacy that God wants between a man and a woman does not come naturally. And other things in the world are calling to pull you away from that that are more enticing and more exciting. And the grass is greener on the other side. And it could seem like fun and exhilarating. And even the things that we look at that could take our passion off of our wives and our husbands They're out there, and they're calling. And there's this fork in the road. Am I going to go down this way of of adultery in my heart or in my mind or in my eyes? Am I going to go this this route of adultery or idols in my life? Or am I going to go this way and give my heart to these other things? And it doesn't have to just be physical intimacy. It could just be other passions that take our passion away from our spouse. And the Bible says, run. Run from it. Don't go down that road. Go down this road. Here's a little snippet of it in Proverbs 5, 15 through 19. Drink water from your own cistern and fresh water from your own well. Should your springs be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be yours alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed. And rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. My wife likes being called a lovely deer and a graceful doe. I don't know if you are, but this kind of captures that youthful zeal, that excitement, that passion that you see from young couples. And the Bible says, go after that. Go after that for all of your years. Don't go to the other cisterns, the other sources of water. Don't give your passion to these foreign things, but find this joy and excitement where you are. You know, we've said this many times, and this is the last kind of application. You know, again, you see some people just invest so much time in planning their wedding. How many hours go in to planning a wedding? It's so stressful for the couples. All this money all this energy. When we had this wedding here this weekend, I was kind of working, coming in into the office, and I just saw people decorating and doing all these things and coming up with all the plans. And there's energy and time and money invested in this day. And we have marriages in our life that we know they invested more time and energy and money in that day than they did the whole rest of their relationship. And it's terrible. It's sad. 
Invest time and energy and money in your relationship now by going out on dates, having deep talks, going on romantic getaways, buying a book that you can read together to invest in your relationship, being faithful to push away the other things that are calling for your time to just go for a walk and invest in your relationship, seeking counseling, whatever you need to do, God wants us to pursue these relationships and invest in them. He is going to be magnified and he's going to be glorified in these relationships. And it's something really special that he wants uh, married people to enjoy all the decades of their marriage. Let's pray for that. Pray for our relationships in our church and pray for our marriages.